I experienced two miraculous blessings this past week. Expressions of overwhelming love validating everything I've been talking about in this class. I can't say more about what these blessings were, but be assured that my life has been changed tremendously. I'm far more humble, and out of that humility, I am a better person. And I want you to rejoice with me over these two overwhelming blessings that came into my life this past week. Amen. We're still talking about love. But why not? First John is nothing more than a critique on the Gospel of John, which is known as the Gospel of Love. John Wesley said that First John is a plain, full compendium on what Christianity is. So with that kind of evaluation from someone like Wesley, it drives us to go deeper and deeper into whatever meanings that John might have been wanting to share with us as we study the book. Today, the lesson begins with a statement, God is love. That statement appears only twice in the entire Bible this is the first time. Yet that one thing, God is love, is at the heart of eight of the major religions of the world. It's at the heart of Judaism, Islam, Christianity, Confucianism, Taoism, Hinduism. It is an understanding of God in a way that Jesus reflected in his own life. God is a God of love. Now, this is unique with the revelation of Christ. The Greeks and the Romans, in understanding God in whatever concept they held God to be, it was a matter of pure intellect. Aristotle said that God is pure intellect. Plato said that God is goodness beyond reproach. But Jesus more succinctly put it, God is love. It took a long time for the Bible to come around and tell us that because the Old Testament is filled with the wrath of God. Everywhere you move into the Old Testament, you'll end up with fear striking at your heart at a wrathful God ready to strike down those who were unfaithful to him. And with that portrait of a wrathful God, it's difficult to comprehend a God who loves the way that God loved in Christ. The highest expression of God's love was written by John when he said, for God so loved the world. He loved the entire world. And proof of that love was the giving of his only begotten son on behalf of the world. And so God is made of love. Whatever attributes they may be about God, the primary attribute of God is he is love. And God expresses that love 
beautifully expressed by Jesus when he told the parable that was used in the scripture reading in the service this morning, the parable of the prodigal son. There's no more beautiful story in all of literature that tells about love, love without any ties that have to be met before that love can be experienced. You almost have to be a father to fully understand it. But it was where a son had rejected his father, taken all of the possessions that at one time would become his, but took them early and went out into a far country. And the sad thing about it is he abused the gift of his father, wasted it, not, did not put it to good use, and the time came as it always does persons in those circumstances he had lost everything he had no mooring he had nowhere to go he had fallen to the lowest estate possible in the mind of the Jew who was listening to the story that's the plight of the world and then the young man remembered the scripture says train up a child in the way that he shall go and when he is old he will not depart from it and I've had people say to me that isn't true because I know children who grew up in Christian homes and go bad and I said yes but they've got something to come back to that's the important thing they've got something to come back to and the young man had something to come back to he remembered his father's house he remembered that as a son all of the blessings that he had shunned in order to go out and be his own man but in remembering he came back and it was an act of repentance i'm sorry for what i have done i don't expect to be treated the way that i was before i left i only want to be a servant in your home the humility of his coming back the repentance of what he had done was all that god needed in order to embrace him with his cloak and kill the fatted cloth and celebrate my son was dead and now is alive that's not the first time that the story was told it was also told in the old testament and with the telling of the story in the old testament for the first time in biblical literature god is revealed as a god of love there was a man by the name of hosea he fell in love with a beautiful woman named gomer uh, they were married, had children, but Gomer had a wandering eye. She wasn't content with what the home life was like and the blessings of her husband and children, and she began to find attractiveness in other men. So much so, in fact, that when the third child was born, Hosea named the child no kin of mine, knowing full well. <laughs> But he wouldn't turn loose of Gomer. He loved her dearly. But she had experienced a life that was so alluring that she did not want to remain with Hosea. So she went off, left without any word at all as to where she was going. Word came to Hosea that she had been seen with certain men and they had taken her into their home. Hosea was brokenhearted, but there was nothing he could do because she had rejected the household, gone out into a world of her own. <coughs> After years passed, Hosea got word that his wife was no longer attractive and desirable. 
moving from man to man, shunning one after the other. And finally, nobody wanted her. And so the one with whom she was with last now put her on the bidding block to be sold as a slave. It broke the heart of Hosea to know that his wife had fallen to such a depth. But he went to the auction. And when she stood up to be bid on, he didn't want to humiliate her with a price that would be above what anyone else would pay. He listed an exorbitant bid to give an appearance of worth. Winning the bid, he took Gomer home. God said to Hosea, tell my people your story because that's my story. My children have left me and they've gone out into the world and prostituted themselves to the world when it is I who loves them. And I, though not then in time, would pay a great price in order to bring them back home again. The book of Hosea doesn't say whether or not she gladly went back home. We're left hanging there. But yet Jesus hadn't come yet. Grace had not entered into the picture. With the coming of grace, there came that forgiveness without retribution. It is a story of God's love, which is the most desirable possession that any one of us can have. God loves us. And when Jesus was asked what is the greatest of all the commandments, he said, you are to love God. <clears throat> we are to experience the love of God in such a way that we can feel that he is our father, that he is the one who stands on the hill waiting for us to come back from a world that has disappointed us. We are to love God, and we express that love in so many ways. Jesus said, the best way you can express your love for God is to love your neighbor. For the greatest of all the commandments is to love God, but the second one is almost as important, love your neighbor. John says, you cannot love God unless you love your neighbor. And if you say you love God <clears throat> and you do not love your neighbor, you're a liar. He's that concise about it, that specific. You cannot love God without loving your neighbor. It's easy to love you. I just come into the room and just warm up because everyone in here is so lovable. You're just great. But not everybody is like that. There are people out there that I find it hard to love. You know people you find it hard to love. And those are the ones that we're called upon to love if we are to love God. The loving the people in the common place in common ways. In a church I served, there was a elderly lady named Eva Sexton. She was a female Andy Rooney. <laughs> Everybody feared her. She spoke her mind. Everybody, if there was a chance that they would have her displeasure, they would avoid her. The girls in the office would hide if they saw her coming until she got past the door. 
We had some run-ins. I was pastor there for eight years, and in the course of those eight years, there were times that we had some rough times. By and large, we got along wonderfully. She fixed the flowers on the altar. She had a magnificent gift for creating beauty. In fact, the mayor of the town had designated that she be the landscape architect for all the public lands in the city. And she oversaw the plannings and the cultivation. She saw beauty and she cultivated beauty, but she didn't emit it from herself. She was a loner. Rarely ever did she stand around making small talk with someone. After I had been there for eight years and was getting ready to move on to my next appointment, not long before that, her anticipation of the new pastor coming prompted her to say some things that should not have been said because it would be hurtful to the minister who was coming. And I scolded her for it. I was very unhappy that she would do such a thing and compromise the coming of my successor. And because I stood up to her, she became quite angry. And she made a point to drive to my home and confront me in my yard and tell me just how she felt about me. <laughs> and then my last Sunday there, Eva always left by the back door and went out into the parking lot and left from there. And on my last Sunday, I looked up and there stood Eva. She looked up into my face and just the slightest of smile and she said, I've loved you since the day you came. <laughs> A couple of years after that, my brother died, who was a member of that church. It was at the time when you saw me walking here on a stick and sitting on a stool because of a ruptured disc. But when I went to the funeral, I couldn't stand and greet anyone. I could hardly sit. The pain was so excruciating. So the funeral director took me to a private parlor and let me sit there until the service began. I hadn't been there any time at all, and I looked up and there stood Eva. She can't, or she couldn't make small talk. She said as few words as necessary. And then she planted herself beside my chair, and she just stood there. As long as I was sitting there, she stood at my side. And then when they came and ushered me in, she went into the chapel as well. Loving people who are curmudgeons, who give you hard times, who disappoints you. All of these factors come into play in our relationships with people. But we are not to become resentful. We are not to hold grudges. We are to love everybody in spite of these things that happen. Eva, who on the surface appeared to be without love in any manner at all, showed that love with the way that she cultivated the flowers and created beauty and the way in which she forgave me for all my disappointments and wanted my last words from her to be, I've loved you from the first day. Loving ordinary people. But Jesus puts it on another level. He said you love your enemies. Now, if it's hard to love the people that are just unpleasant, how much harder it is to people who are to be considered your enemies. A number of years ago, I preached a district conference in the Oak Ridge District. And the subject for my sermon at that conference came out of Time magazine, the issue before the conference met. 
In it was an anecdote told about an airman who, this was during the Vietnam War, and he had been shot down after a raid in North Vietnam. And he jumped from the plane in a parachute. But as he came down to the ground near a village, the villagers saw him descending by parachute. They knew that he had been bombing their country. And by the time he hit the ground, he was surrounded by angry Vietnamese. He said some held pitchforks, some had rakes. Everyone had a farm implement of one kind or another, and they were edging closer and closer, almost as if they were trying to decide whether to kill him there or whether to send for some of the soldiers to come and take him. He said he was frightened in a way that he had never been fearful before. And while he lay there, paralyzed with fear, an old Vietnamese woman standing with the crowd began to creep up to where he lay. And then she knelt down beside him and reached out and placed a cookie in his hand. He looked up and there was a wooden cross hanging from a leather string around her neck. By then the soldiers had come and he was arrested and put in prison. But he said, I'm a religious man. I've been to church and I have taken communion many times over, but there was never more a sacrificial moment than when that old Vietnamese woman saw my fear and came and placed a cookie in my hand and warmed me with her smile. That was a true sacrament. And the cookie was the body of Christ. Loving your enemy. There was another story about the same time told about a soldier whose unit had come into a village to rout the Viet Cong. They were set upon by the Vietnamese soldiers and routed from the village, but this one man was left to die there with a massive wound in his side. He had passed out with the wound, and when he came to his senses, he was alone except for a Vietnamese woman who had cleaned his wound had stopped the flow of blood the best that she could. And when he opened his eyes, she reached out and gave him a cup of tea. Loving your enemies. Jesus said, if you love God, you can do it. You can't do it if you don't love God because it is the grace of God that allows us to love the unlovable, love in difficult situations, love that comes hard by unless there's first the love for God. And Jesus said not only to love your enemies, but to love those who take advantage of you, who abuse you in one way or another. Donald Tibbet was a bishop of the Methodist Church. He was the last Methodist bishop to preside over general conference of the Methodist Church. And he was the first Methodist bishop to preside over the conference of the United Methodist Church. But at the time of this incident, he was 35 years old, and he was a pastor of the Church of All Nations in the lower east side of New York City. <clears throat> the neighborhood was rough. The church was attempting to minister to all of the people in all of their needs. And one Saturday evening, he was in an annex to the church building. There was a door that led into the room, and there was no other exit 
and he was there waiting for a long-distance call when eight or nine young men came through the doorway. He said they were well-dressed. He didn't suspect a thing. And then the phone indicated that that call had come in, and he rushed over to answer the phone, and the young men thought that he was getting ready to call the police because they had just committed a crime, and they had taken this room for their hiding place. And thinking that he was getting ready to call the police, Dr. Tippett said the last thing that he remembered was looking up and seeing a hand with brass knuckles coming and hitting him at the side of his head. It resulted in his nose being broken, his left eye knocked out of the socket. He was left unconscious. They took him to the hospital and they cared for him. They were able to repair his nose. They placed his eye back in the socket, but there was no vision there. He had lost something of the vision in his right eye, but it came back in time. But one of the young men, they all had escaped. One of the young men turned himself into the authorities, admitting his role in beating up Dr. Tibbet. And because of his confession, they had no evidence by which they could have convicted him otherwise. They put him on probation. Dr. Tibbet went to the man who had robbed him of his eyesight and encouraged him to go to City College of New York so that he could prepare himself to be a worthwhile citizen. He raised money to pay his tuition. And the young man went to City College of New York, got his undergraduate degree, went on to medical school. Years later, the young man visited Bishop Tippett, and as they renewed their friendship, Bishop Tippett said to him, well, what's in your future now? He said, well, I've graduated from medical school, and I'm getting ready to enter into my specialty. And he said, what is your specialty? And he said, ophthalmology. I took a vision from one man, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life giving vision to others. Loving people who have abused your relationship. If Dr. Tippett had not taken that young man and encouraged him, it might have been a spent, wasted life. But love performs miracles. Love your enemies. Love one another. Love those who abuse you above all else. Love God. And in loving God, the world is filled with miracles.